Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be looking here at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we've been looking at what uh, the scriptures teach us about spiritual gifts uh, through here at 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian believers here and us about the purpose of spiritual gifts. And uh, this is really for unity, so the whole body of Christ can be edified. And we know there's disunity and division in the church, right? Paul addressed their false spirituality. We saw that in uh, verses 1 through 3 as he talked about uh, what they were doing. Uh, He addresses their pride and arrogance as we looked at uh, verses uh, 4 through 6 last week. And Paul has reinforced that it is the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and God the Father who works in the variety of the gifts, variety of the services, and variety of the activities. Uh, And because of the diversity that's present in the church with all these various giftings, we as believers should be striving to reflect unity just as there is unity in God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father. And so this morning, we're going to be focusing on verses 7 through 11 here in 1 Corinthians 12. And the real meat of this passage is in verse 7 and also verse 11. And sandwiched between those two verses is all these gifts, and he's going to list them. There's eight of them that he makes mention of uh, in verses 8 through 10. And it is these gifts that these believers at Corinth were boastful about having, and it was really causing division in the church. And so here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. God gives his gifts to the church whenever and however he wants. God gives his gifts to the church whenever and however he wants. So let's take note here at a few things. Number one, what we need to know about spiritual gifts. Take a look here, verse number seven. Paul writes, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul is saying in this passage concerning spiritual gifts, number one, that no one is ungifted in the church of Jesus Christ. Now remember what is going on here. There are these super spiritual people in this church of Corinth. Uh, Paul sometimes even uh, poked a little fun at them and called them super apostles, right? Like, look what I can do. Look what I can do. Oh, I'm better at you than this. Look at my ministry over here. Ooh, look at me, look at me, right? Paul says, hey, you're nothing but like these super apostles. Um, And basically, they were looking down upon other members in the body of Christ and treating them as if God had not gifted them almost in a way that my gifting is more important than yours, and I really don't need you. I'm gonna, I really don't have to be a part of you because I'm so important, right? And Paul says, that's wrong. That is totally wrong. Why? Because he gives these gifts uh, to everyone. So no one is ungifted in the church of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says there, to each one. 
verse 7. And later on in verse number 11, we'll see there, he says, individually. And so spiritual gifts are divinely bestowed upon every Christian. No one is ungifted in the church of Jesus Christ. And so if you know Christ as your Savior, there was a time in your life when you repented of sin and you turned to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you have been gifted by God uh, for the work of the ministry. And so each Christian has been individually given certain gifts. The work of the body of Christ is a supernatural work And every believer has a place in the body and the spiritual enablement to perform their ministry. You'll see as we'll be moving on uh, through the passage here, later on he gets into verse 12. He starts talking about the anatomy of the body of Christ, right? And he's talking about the various members of the body and how those members work together. And so we all have to be part of the body of Christ. We all serve a certain part, a certain function in the body and so there's no one who is unimportant and so we have to be a part of that to perform a certain part of ministry to the body second thing that we see that paul has to say about this is that the gifts are for the common good which is for god's glory not ours and edification of the church not our own edification You see, what these believers were doing here at Corinth is they were using spiritual gifts for their own edification. It could be for applause. It could be for, oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, you're so great. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, right? That's the wrong reason. The gifts were not given for our own edification. They are given for the edification of the body of Christ. And so Paul is trying to correct that. And so they are for the common good, uh, which is for God's glory. We need to remember that spiritual gifts are divine empowerment for service to and through the body of Christ. They are not primarily for the benefit of the one gifted by God. It is not for our glory, but, which, but his, which should be, we, we should be seeking We do not strive for our edification and building up through the exercise of spiritual gifts, but for the building up of the whole body of Christ. Is that what you're striving for as a believer in Christ? As members as this local body here at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship, are you striving to edify other believers within this fellowship, or is it all about you? You see, that's why we have to understand that spiritual gifts are given for the common good, as what Paul says. Those who seek certain gifts for the benefit, for the benefit they gain, have already fallen short of the mark. Self-edification may be a fringe benefit, but it should not be the major focus. Here's a third thing that Paul kind of draws out from this. The gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. Notice what he says here. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. They are not an evidence of our spirituality, but an evidence of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Let me be very clear here. When he talks about the manifestation of the Spirit, 
He's talking about the Spirit being apparent in the working of how God is working in certain instances. He's not talking about the filling of the Spirit, which is totally separate, okay? So we're not talking about the filling of the Spirit here. We're talking about the manifestation of the Spirit. And who does the manifesting? Is it us? No. It is God who does the manifesting. And so there's a manifestation of the Spirit of God as he's working through spiritual gifts for the common good in the life of the church. And so Paul is not talking about the filling of the Spirit, but rather a manifestation of the Spirit of God through a spiritual gift. Paul couldn't be any clearer about this. Every spiritual gift possessed by the Corinthians is given by whom? Through the Spirit. You need to grasp that. You need to understand that. The spiritual gifts are given. This manifestation of these gifts is given through the Spirit, not ourselves. It's nothing that we do. It is through the Spirit. This is something that we need to understand about the Christian life. I believe this is clearly taught all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. It is the Spirit of God who lives out the life of Christ in and through us. Spiritual gifts are not an evidence of our spirituality, but an evidence of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Now, how will we know if somebody is filled with the Spirit of God? Is it because they say things like God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, gospel? No. How will we know if they are filled with the Spirit of God? They will evidence the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, temperance, right? Those are the evidences of the Spirit of God. So we're not talking about filling of the Spirit. We're talking about a manifestation of the Spirit of God through these spiritual gifts. Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is always present in and among Christians. John 14, 16, Jesus said, He may abide with you forever. However, at some times, the Spirit's presence is more apparent than at other times. There are times when he may choose to manifest himself or make himself more apparent, but he is always with those of us who know Christ and as Lord and Savior. And so Paul is trying to help these Corinthians and even us to help us understand that just because you may not see the Spirit doing wow factors and it's being manifested and it's powerful doesn't mean that the Spirit of God is not at work. The Spirit may manifest himself at certain times more apparently than at other times, but he's still at work. And this manifestation is not something we do. Who, who does it? It is God. He manifests himself. And so the, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So let's take a look at some ways the Spirit manifests himself. Now let's read this text here together here with the rest of these verses. He says here, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given, notice, mark it, through the Spirit, 
the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's important that you catch that. So Paul here in these verses, verses 8 through 10, he lists this total of eight different gifts of how the Spirit will and can be manifested at certain times. It seems to me that the gifts that he lists here are those that the gifts that these Corinthians really took pride in. Now before we list those gifts, take note of a few interesting things about these gifts. Number one, Paul doesn't spend any time defining what these gifts are. He doesn't say, this is exactly what this looks like. And so the emphasis is not so much on the gifts, but rather than the Holy Spirit in his choosing to manifest himself. He emphasizes that each of these gifts is by or through the same Spirit. Notice how many times he repeats this idea. You see it there? Through the Spirit, to the same Spirit, the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. Five times, and he concludes with this statement, each one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Secondly, some of these gifts that he lists here are not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. We don't find them. And so we could only think of how they were used and why they were used in Scripture. We don't see them. Thirdly, the very first two gifts on the top of the list that Paul makes mention here is word of wisdom and word of knowledge or utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge. Now these seem to be very important to the Corinthians. Why? I don't know. Paul really doesn't say. He doesn't tell us why uh, these things. He doesn't give us an explanation. But I think it's obvious that these gifts were important to them because why else would Paul make mention of them, first of all? Fourthly, whatever gifts these Corinthians seem to possess, Paul is simply reminding them that these gifts are sovereignly given as his choosing. Don't miss that. We see that in verse 11. Notice what he says here. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Remember, we're talking about the manifestation of the Spirit of God through certain gifts. And Paul, and Paul says it is God who apportions these things as he wills, as, at his choosing God decides to manifest himself through certain spiritual gifts. These gifts are empowered and apportioned by the Spirit of God. What does that mean? It simply means that these gifts are not a result of working ourselves up 
or trying to be spiritual or trying to prove ourselves spiritual by some sort of false spirituality that the, that the Spirit of God is manifesting himself in our lives. These gifts of God are not a result of ourselves or what we do or do not do. Because it's a manifestation of the Spirit of God as he wills, not us. And so they are sovereign graces bestowed upon the believer as he wills. For what purpose, Paul? Well, remember verse 7? He says, for the common good. It's for the benefit, it's to benefit the whole church family, not just a particular individual. It is for the unity of the church, the one body of Christ. You know, I do believe that God is wiser, he's holier and more spiritual than we are, and he knows what's best for his church. And it's always in his timing, and it's totally under his direction when he chooses to manifest himself and through his spirit, through these gifts. So it's not because of us, it's because of him. So let's look at these eight gifts in particular and how the spirit manifests himself at his choosing. So here are the ways that Paul begins to mention the different ways the Spirit manifests himself uh, in different ways. Now, these first two have to deal with an utterance or a word given. So we see here, first of all, a word of wisdom. This is an ability to speak forth the wisdom of God, especially in an important situation. Examples of this, like Stephen in Acts 7. Remember, he's there and he is, he is proclaiming the wisdom of God uh, right before he's going to get stoned. Uh, and Paul also in uh, Acts 23, as he's there before the council, the Roman council, uh, he's testifying of what God is doing. And I believe that he is giving a word of wisdom. He's speaking forth the wisdom of God in those important situations. Then we see this next one, a word of knowledge. This is an ability to declare knowledge that could only be supernaturally revealed. Examples of this, Nathan, out of 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. You know this, uh, David, he had sinned, he had uh, committed adultery with uh, Bathsheba, and he also murdered Uriah, sent him into the front lines there to cover up for his sin. What does God do? God sends Nathan, and he reveals to Nathan exactly what David had done. Nathan goes to David, and he gives him this story, tells him about what had happened, and he says, uh, David, what should be done to the man who, who does this? And David's like, oh, he ought to be, he ought to be killed. He, he, ought to be, he ought to be judged and all this stuff. And Nathan looks at David, and he says, you are the man. This was a supernatural revealing of knowledge that Nathan would not have known about that. We see this also in uh, Paul uh, in Acts uh, chapter 27. Uh, we see there in, uh, when Paul, he's going to be sailing, and uh, he goes there in verse 10, Paul says, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. This is what Paul says. He's like, hey, let's not get on the ship. Let's not do it. 
But then, what ends up happening, we see in Acts 27, verses uh, 23 uh, through 26, Paul says there, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you and all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. And so Paul gets this wisdom, he gets this utterance, uh, uh, this word of knowledge uh, from, from God that God says, hey, look, you're going to be taken care of, it's going to be fine, don't worry about it. And so sometimes God supernaturally can speak directly to our hearts through a word of knowledge. God intends particularly that the person who receives this word should speak it out over another member of the church. So that member will be encouraged, instructed, rebuked, corrected, or receive insight by it. Now listen to me carefully here. When God speaks, when God speaks, he is clear, direct, and knowledgeable. This is not fortune cookie wisdom either. It's not impressions or feelings or hair standing up on the back of my neck. When God speaks, he is clear, direct, and knowledgeable. We see that in these examples with Nathan and also with uh, Paul there as well. Sad to say, but many churches have bought into these so-called words from God that are nothing more than cold readings. These are the same tricks that psychics use. Uh, you know, they, they say things like, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting something here, I'm getting something, uh, uh, I, I'm getting a birthday, uh, August, August. Who, who has a birthday in August? Who has, who has a birthday in August? Oh, okay, all right. Uh, and, and I'm getting something else, uh, bike, bike, bike. Is there, is there something with a bike, a bicycle? Bicycle, something with a bicycle? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, great, yeah. That's not a word from God, people. The Spirit of God is always clear, direct, and knowledgeable. It's not a, oh, I think, I feel, I might, I maybe, possibly. When God speaks, he is clear, direct, and knowledgeable, just as we see in Scripture there as well. And so that type of stuff like that, it's a false spirituality and it's not a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That is why discernment should be used when a word is given. We are commanded to try every spirit. Let's look at a third thing that Paul talks about here. He talks about faith. This is the unique ability to trust God against all circumstances. Though faith is an essential part of every Christian's life, the gift of faith is the unique ability to trust God against all circumstances. I would say George Mueller would be a great example of that. George Mueller, who was a 19th century uh, pastor that uh, lived in England there, uh, he operated orphanages, and he never asked for money for those orphanages. What did he do? He trusted God by faith that God would provide. He would pray. He'd say, God, I need, I need food to feed all these children. I need, I need milk. I need something. And lo and behold, guess what would happen? Oh, there would be a, 
a, a wagon that would be coming by and maybe something happened. They say, hey, I got all this milk and it's going to go bad. Can you use it? And so he would trust God for this. And it was, it was astounding. There's, uh, I encourage you to read his uh, biography about that, some amazing things with that. We also see healings. This is God's healing power, either given or received. And it's not just physical. The best healing is always spiritual, always. We can see all throughout the New Testament repeated documented instances of healing, and we still hear of healings that take place today. Remember, this is a manifestation of the Spirit of God at work in certain gifts. Let me read also to you what Adam Clark in his Bible commentary says about gifts of healings. He says this, The power which at particular times the apostles received from the Holy Spirit to cure diseases, a power which was not always resident in them. For Paul could not cure Timothy nor remove his own thorn in the flesh because it was given only on extraordinary occasions through perhaps more generally than many others, end quote. And I believe this goes in line with what Paul says here, that these gifts are manifestation of the Spirit sovereignly as he wills, not when we want it. Well, that kind of throws out the whole, hey, we're going to have a healing conference, doesn't it? Sure does. Because it's a manifestation of when God wants to heal somebody, not our own doing and wanting for something like that. Let's keep moving on here. Here's the next one, miracles. Literally, miracles is acts of power. Uh, Same word like dynamite, dunamis, right? Gifts of healing and working of miracles often operate in connection with the gift of faith. As in Acts 3, 1 through 8, you see that. These things are not done on the whim of the individual as if the power to heal or work miracles was at their permanent disposal. We see that clearly in Acts 14, 8 through 10. And so this describes when the Holy Spirit chooses to override the laws of nature, as you would think of as like a pilot might use manual controls, right? Just override uh, those things. And so uh, the Holy Spirit overrides the laws of nature, working in or through an available person. Here's the next one, prophecy. This is the fourth telling of God's message in a particular situation always in accord with his word and his current work. Prophecy is not preaching. Now, the reason why I say prophecy is not preaching is because there are some people who try to dismiss prophecy uh, in saying that, you know, God no longer works through uh, prophecy uh, in a foretelling of the word of God. And uh, there's a Greek word for preaching and a Greek word for divinely inspired speech, which is prophecy. Interesting enough, in this text, Paul uses the word for divinely inspired speech, not for preaching. And now, I do believe that good spirit-anointed preaching will often use the spontaneous gift of prophecy, uh, being able to speak in a certain situation uh, and things like that, Um, but we should not define prophecy as preaching. Here's the next one, discerning of spirits. This is the ability to tell the difference between true and false doctrine and between what is the Holy Spirit and what isn't. 
and we see that in Acts 8, 18 through 23, and also Acts 16, 16 through 18. I believe it's so important to have discernment because Scripture tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, He deceives with a false tempting message, as we see in Genesis 2, 16, all the way through Genesis 3, 5. There can be lying spirits in the mouths of prophets, 1 Kings 22, 21 through 23, and 2 Chronicles 18, 20 through 22. Satan can speak right after God speaks in Matthew 16, 23. Sometimes people who seem to say the right things are really from the devil, Acts 13, 6 through 12, and also Acts 16, 16 through 18. And it is important to test the word of anyone who claims to speak from God, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Satan can work uh, deceiving miracles, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10, and also Revelation 13, 11 through 14. The devil will try to infiltrate the church with false teachers, Jude 4, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 2. And so it's very important that we have discernment. And God can use this manifestation of the Spirit through a spiritual gift of discernment as he wills when it is needed at the proper time. So it's for the common good of the church. Here's the next one, various kinds of tongues. Paul talks about this. Now here's some uses of the tongues as we see in Scripture. They're used as a sign to unbelievers that the gospel is true. Also, they are a personal language of prayer given by God where a believer can communicate with God beyond the limits of knowledge and understanding. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. And so these tongues are not an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's a manifestation of the Spirit of God as he wills. So it's not something that we work up, right? It's not something that we're just saying, okay, I'm going to do this now. No, <laughs> it is a manifestation of the Spirit of God as he wills. And so the ability to pray in a tongue is not the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because of this bad teaching, I believe this has led people to seek the gift of tongues and really to counterfeit it, merely to prove to themselves and others that they are really filled with the Holy Spirit. Scripture does give us a couple guiding principles when it comes to this manifestation of tongues and how it should be used. Uh, first of all, tongues have an important place in the devotional life of the believer but a small place in the, in the corporate life of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 19 tells us about that, and especially in public meetings, 1 Corinthians 14, 23. And when tongues are manifested in the public meetings of the church, it is to be carefully controlled and never without an interpreter given by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 28. And then we find here interpretation of tongues, the last one that he gives. This allows the gift of tongues to be of benefit for those other than the speaker as they are able to hear and agree with the tongue speaker's words of God. So, what was their problem? What was the problem that was causing disunity uh, in this church? Why were they having disunity or thinking this way. Well, the problem was this. These believers were divided because they thought that the gifts were given separately for their own benefit 
And so this caused them to think of themselves as being separate or competitive about the gifts. Paul emphasizes that this is the one and the same spirit works all these things so they should reflect that same unity among themselves. And perhaps, you know, the tongue speakers thought themselves superior to the prophesiers. You know, maybe they thought, hey, I'm more important than you are, right? Um, and really, maybe they thought, uh, basically, I'm more important, so therefore, God has bestowed upon me more spirituality than you, right? Or maybe they thought they came from different gods, almost in a way. Uh, that's why he says they came, come from the same spirit. Uh, so, he, he tries to help us understand that. So if we don't want to have disunity concerning spiritual gifts, how are we to accomplish this? Well, let me give you uh, three things here real quickly. How to have unity with the spiritual gifts. Number one, have the right priority. Take the emphasis off yourself and place it where it belongs, which is the sovereign triune God. He saved you, gifts you, and manifests his spirit according to his individual will as he pleases. The gifts are not about you. They are about God. They are distributed not according to the will of man, but as the spirit of God wills, as he wills. And I think it's pretty apparent that what was happening here at Corinth is the same things that still goes on today as it's thought that spiritual gifts are given because a person is especially spiritually mature or closer to God. We should never assume that giftedness is connected to maturity. Giftedness is never connected to maturity. God can and does for his own glory and purpose distribute spiritual gifts to those who are not especially spiritually mature or close to him. That's why it's a manifestation of the Spirit, as he wills, not our own doing. And this is why spiritual giftedness should never be the criteria for, for positions of leadership in the church, such as an elder or a deacon. Instead of giftedness, God desires Christian maturity and character. We see this clearly in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, and Titus 1, 5 through 9. Uh, sadly, a lot of churches sometimes uh, bring in individuals or want certain individuals uh, in church leadership because they feel that they're gifted. That is not the criteria for that. It's maturity. It's character as what uh, Scripture teaches us. Here's the second thing. Know God's purpose. And the purpose is always and should be to glorify Jesus Christ and to be matured in him. The, the Spirit's goal is never to amaze or confuse, but to build the fruit of the Spirit, and he will use or not use any gift he thinks that will accomplish his desires when he desires. And so this is amazing how these spiritual gifts are at work within the church, right? Like God will manifest himself in certain times, certain places, through certain spiritual gifts when he decides to do that. And it's at his own disposal, at his choosing, as he wills. And it's always to glorify Jesus Christ. Thirdly, minister to people. Don't seek to be served, but serve one another. That's the whole point, right, of this text. He says, to one, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, right? It's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not about I need to be served, 
we ought to be looking for opportunities to serve others. And so the different manifestations that the Lord distributes at any given time to the people of the church reflect the needs of the church. Are you looking for opportunities for God to use you to meet the needs of another in the body of Christ? I'm reminded of what Paul says uh, to the Corinthians to manifest the Spirit in a way that is a blessing to the church. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. How do we do church? Right? That's a pretty big question. How do we do church? It should be when we come together, each of us using our spiritual gift as the Spirit of God manifests himself through the spiritual giftedness that we are all encouraged for the common good. We are all edified, and it all brings unity in the body, which Paul will later on go on to talk about uh, here, which we'll look at next week. I encourage you, uh, spend some time this uh, coming week. Uh, start reading through uh, verses 8 uh, through 31, as Paul's going to talk about the body. Uh, that way you get a good handle on uh, what we'll be discussing next week. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.